Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Have a look in your Bible, Proverbs 23, 7. We've been talking about identity. Identity. I want to pick that up. We're doing a series on it. I looked at identity in Christ in the first session, what it would look like if you were free to be who you are. And then we looked at uh, some ways people define identity, who I am. Identity is all about who am I? And if you don't know who you are, well, you're in trouble because everyone else will define it for you. And uh, so we saw different ways people uh, identify themselves. And uh, we look particularly at one area, victim mentality. I'm a victim. I can't do anything. So the question is then, how do you see yourself? Because how you see yourself, and Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Or what you believe in your heart yourself to be is how you'll live your life. What you believe about yourself will dramatically determine your life and your relationships. So the question is, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself the way God sees you? Or do you define yourself somewhat differently? So we were looking at some aspects of that. What do you believe about yourself? What do you, how do you see yourself? How do you define yourself? Are you going to live out of that? See, who are you really? And next uh, time I'm up, I want to just talk to you then about our identity in Christ, how we establish what that identity in Christ is and how we establish it strongly and firmly in our life. I need to know who I am in Christ. See, so, so your identity is who you are and it's made up of a lot of things and we define it different ways. So one way you look at your face. Oh, there's Cecilia. I, she didn't say a word and I knew her face. So your face defines who you are. The face speaks or identifies who you are. Your name identifies you. I'm Mike. That's my first name. So my face and name identify, voice identify me. Uh, my name is Connell. So I'm from a family line. I'm connected to a family line. And in that family line, a lot of things are similar. Anyone see my brothers would realize a lot of things are similar. You look, it's, ooh, it's a family. You know, you can actually see, so, there are, so, so my identity is also partly defined natu- in the natural area we're looking at now by where I come from, the family line I'm a part of. And God sees you connected into generational lines. So God sees you in terms of family. And when God looks, say, for example, at, uh, at uh, Levi, he said, well, he's part of the Abraham line. So whatever Abraham did, Levi was a part of that because he's part of the family line. But Levi was a great-grandchild. So when God looks at families, he looks at the whole line of a family. Now, that's a problem. It's good and it's bad because if you've got, a, if you've got great parents, then you're a part of a family line that's great. You've got great qualities going through. But if they were really bad, you've got some issues. And so there's a problem there. But so, so God designed us so that family identity would flow down from where we came from. So Adam and Eve came from God. Who are they? They're the children of God. But when they sinned, something changed. God's plan was that from Adam and Eve would flow down the line of God into the earth. That Adam and Eve were made in the image of God with his character, his nature, his capa- some of his capacities. They were designed to reflect him in the earth. And so what God's design was that they would have children and the children would also reflect what God is like. But when sin came in, see... Now, the, the next line was now made in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. There was something had changed. 
sin had come in and now there's destructive things come in family lines as well as constructive things and we have to understand that and work out what to do about that. So we identify ourselves by our gender, I'm a male, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a woman, you know, so that's a part of identifying who you are, identify yourself by your racial group, I'm, I'm a Kiwi. So we, we use a whole number of ways of identifying ourselves. Uh, we could identify ourselves by our social status. Well, I'm a leader, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a businessman. That's who I am. What if your business goes bust? Who are you then? Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we can identify ourselves by experiences, by the hurts and pains and difficulties or failures we've had. I'm a failure. No, you're not a failure. You've defined yourself in your identity by your experiences, but that's not who you are. Uh, we may uh, define ourselves... Uh, by painful experiences. I'm a victim, I'm powerless, I can't do it. Now, you never say that, but actually, it's in the heart, it'll flow out of the life. You've believed that about yourself. So many people in this church here today would define themselves not as God defines you, not as God sees you, but as according to how you see you, and you're doing, and, and, and it's defined by what's happened in your past. I'm a fake, I'm a reject, I'm a nothing. Say, well, that's going to affect how you run your life. And so clearly the motivational people are right. You need to get a good view of yourself, your self-esteem. But the problem with all of the teaching stuff on self-esteem is it never has the cross in it. And it always exalts self rather than exalting Christ. So it tries to build a person without actually becoming rooted in who I am as God intended me to be. That's the problem with it. So it's got good concepts. They're all drawn from the Bible, actually, but they won't not admit that. That's where they come from. And uh, so some people identify themselves by the words of others. I'm a failure. How do you know you're a failure? I'm useless. I'm this, I'm that. Because someone told me, and I believe them. And then, uh, so we looked at, particularly last week, we looked at the area of victim, defining ourselves, I'm a victim. In other words, I'm pal- I can't do anything. Bad things always happen to me. What's the use? Now, all that kind of mentality leaves you disempowered. That's not who God called you to be. God called you to have dominion. You're a person with dominion. So we're going to share with you in another time how you actually arise in your personal life and begin to assert dominion into the realm that's around you. But to do that, you've got to know who you are. Okay, and I want to, before I get into the final one on identity, I want to look at another way that people define themselves. And this is really a really important one. If it rings your bells, then put your hand up and get to change, okay? So <laughs> another way is that people define themselves as by their performance, what they do. I am what I do. So what I do tells you what I am. Now, it's, not, it's only a partial truth in that. So Jesus' identity, and as the, key to, the key to your identity is revelation. The key to your identity, your true identity, is revelation. It's what God says about you. If you don't know what God says you are, how do you know who you really are? You're just defining yourself according to your background or experiences or what people say about you or even the group you're in. They put a label on you so they can say who you are. Oh, you're just that. Oh, you're just a Pentecostal. Oh, you're just a Catholic. You know, they put, people put labels to box us. But if I, I need to know who I am according to what God says. And every one of us needs to know clearly who we are according to what God says about me. And then I live out of what God says. Now, I may not be living up to it completely, but I'm not trying to prove that's who I am. I'm actually living up to who I am. Got the idea? It's a real different thing. Whereas most people try to establish who they are by doing something. God reveals who you are, and then you begin to live up to it. Any idea? 
Okay then, so just have a look. I want to have a look first of all in uh, John 1, 29. John 1 verse 29. Now, Jesus' identity was defined very clearly. He knew exactly who he was because he knew who he was. He didn't worry about position, rank, title. He didn't worry about what people thought about him. He was actually free to be himself because he knew who he was. So he didn't need someone else to say who he was. But uh, we find his, his, his identity is defined in two places. One, it's defined by the prophet of God revealing something to him. In John 1, 29, and he says, Next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you notice what's happening here. You have to understand this. John was God's representative in the earth, and John was preaching a gospel, a repent of sin and repentance, to, a, a repentance towards God, and then water baptism. Now, you've got to understand what the significance of this water baptism thing is. Water baptism was this. It was, I have repented for my old life, my old way without God, and now I want to demonstrate openly that the old identity in life as I used to live it is gone, and I'm beginning a new life as a new person with a new framework, God is the center. So baptism then was, I went, they go down into the water, the old life identity as you used to know it is buried. Now there's a new person risen up, walking with God person. Now Jesus had to be baptized, not because he'd sinned, but because he wanted to identify with what God was saying in that day. And God was saying in that day, repent Change your lifestyle, change your heart towards God, and begin to live a lifestyle of relationship in pleasing God. And to, in, to indicate that change, get water baptized. So Jesus said, came down to John. John said, uh, you don't need to be water baptized. Well, you should be doing that to me. He said, no, to fulfill what's right before God, I will be water baptized. And notice now, associated with his old life. What was his old life? His old life was his natural life as a carpenter in Nazareth. So when people looked at him, that's the carpenter of Nazareth. And he was saying, my life as carpenter of Nazareth is over. I'm beginning who I really am, which is the Son of God, Jesus, the Savior of the world. Therefore, I need to be baptized. As a public demonstration of who I now am. And associated with that, there are two witnesses. One on the earth, one in heaven. John stood up and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who is this man in your midst? He's the Lamb of God. This is the Savior. This is who he is. How did John know it? Revelation. How did he know who Jesus really Oh, that's my cousin, bro. See, naturally, that was true. He was John's, John was his cousin. Who oh, is this is my cousin. Who does he think he is? But he had revelation, and the revelation was, this is the Lamb of God. Now, Jesus gets baptized. You know what immediately happens after he gets baptized? The heavens open, and Father from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So he has a voice on earth speaking God's heart, God's revelation, a voice in heaven this is who this person is. He's not the carpenter you once knew. He's not the boy that grew up in that community. He's not that little child that was part of a big family that their dad died and he took over the business. This is the Savior of the world, the promise of God, the gift of God. So how did he know who he was? It was revealed. He had there was a word from God through a prophet and a word from Father in heaven directly to him. So if he didn't know it before, he knew it then. 
How did Jesus know who he was? God told him this is who you are. It's where you come from. This is who you are. This is where you're going. This is what you've got to do. So his identity was totally secure. Now, I want you to have a look with me in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Or look in Matthew 3. It's all the same sort of thing. Matthew chapter 3. We just read in Matthew chapter 3. Here it is there, verse 17. Suddenly a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So God just bursts out and says, oh, ha, 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 Hey, are you, I know who you are. You're my son. And I, I love you. Ha, whoa, I can't help shouting out from heaven. You understand? So who is he? Well, God, the prophet said who he is and the father said who he is. There's no doubt who he is. And that's what the devil says. Verse 3, when the tempter come and said to him, if you are, if you are. That's an identity question. Who are you? If you are. Prove it. Do something. Now, you notice what he is. He's trying to move Jesus' identity from what God says he is to proving it by what he does. And this was consistently a pattern in Jesus' life. Is the tempter would come and says, if you are this, you ought to do that. If you're the son of God, Luke chapter 4, he said, if you're the son of God, prove it. Do something. Huh? Say? If, you, if you're the son of God, prove it. Do something. Huh? Now, there's a couple of other places too. I'll give you them. We won't look them up. Uh, in Luke 23, verse 8 and 9, Pilate hoped to see a miracle. If you are the son of God, do a miracle. Jesus, Pilate asked him a question. Are you the king? Jesus said nothing. Now, you'll notice when Jesus was challenged who he is, who are you? He either quoted the word of God or he said nothing. He quoted the word of God or said nothing. But he never felt the need to prove who he was. You either received it and recognized it or he didn't worry about it. If you didn't recognize who he was, that's okay, it's your problem. When he came to his own town, they said, this is the Nazareth, this is, this is the carpenter. We grew up with this boy here. We know him. We know his mother and, and brothers and sisters and the business they ran. And they were offended and wouldn't believe in no miracle. So you understand, they, they saw him in, ter in natural terms. They did not realize who he really was. So because they didn't recognize his true identity, they couldn't receive. Do you realize that the way you get saved is to recognize the true identity of Jesus, what he did, who he is, and what he's done? The moment you acknowledge that in your heart and speak it with your mouth, you're saved. Amazing. So each time Jesus come under a spiritual attack, this is one of the things. In uh, Matthew 12, 38 and 39, the scribes and Pharisees come up and said, well, if you, who you are who you say you are, prove it. Do a miracle. And what they're sort of saying is, if you do a miracle, I'll believe you're true. I believe you're the Son of God. Actually, if he did a miracle, he did miracles. He raised Lazarus from the dead. You know what they want to do? Kill Lazarus. Because... This is a problem, Lazarus living. He was dead before and he's alive now. We don't want to know how this happened. Let's just get rid of the fella. Because if we acknowledge it, we'll have to acknowledge who Jesus is. So miracles will not necessarily establish the identity of God, who he is and what he does. People just won't believe. If unbelief is in their heart, they won't believe. So it's revelation. That's why Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but by me. And no one comes lest the Spirit reveals. Now you need to know who you are. You need God to reveal to you who you are as well. You need to know who you are. And I'll share that in the next message. I'll go clearly what the Bible says about it, see? So, and, and look, at, look, look at this in, uh, uh, in, in uh, the end of Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 15, 29 and 32. 
They said, hey, you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Prove it. So you're the Son of God. So you're the King. Prove it. Do something spectacular. So you notice, even when unbelievers look, well, you're a Christian. Why don't you do this? Well, I am a Christian, and I do lots of things. I'm not choosing to do that for the moment. You understand, people want to attach your identity to what you do, or they want you to prove who you are by what you do. And many believers, many Christians, unfortunately, are locked into what I call performance orientation. And they define themselves according to what they're doing or have done. And we all are subject to that. We all have that dilemma in our life. Until we become established clearly, this is who I am, and I am happy with who I am, and I am growing in whom I am, and I'm actually able to be free to be that person. Brings tremendous liberty. So many people, for example, that have something like this going on in their life, I'm a success. How do you know you're a success? Well, look at all the things I've done. I must be. Well, did God ask you to do all those things? Were you designed to do those things? Is that what the call of God was for you to do all those things? Is that how you're successful? person gets to the end of their life and they're about to die and go to heaven. They really have a reality check immediately on what was of value, what isn't. They never define their life and call it what they did. It's always the relationships that they have and who they've expressed themselves to be. Okay? So, you know, even God says, he says, well, I see you've done all these things, but did you love people? Is love in your heart? Are you a loving person? Who are you? Are you a loving person? Are you a generous person? What kind of person are you anyway? Well, I look at my past and I see what I've done. I think I'm pretty miserable, really. So we cannot define ourselves according to what we do. Otherwise, we'll come up with things, I'm a success because I did this, this, and this. Oh, university. You didn't. Now, you see, understand that when you define your identity around your performance, then you divide your world up into those who performed as less than you and you're better than them. And then, unfortunately, you'll meet up people who perform better than you, and now you feel less than them. So you don't hang around them. They make you insecure because they challenge your identity. They show you up. You actually didn't do so much after all. And if your identity is attached to what you do, the moment you meet someone who's accomplished a lot more, you become insecure because the comparison you were using before was someone who hadn't done so much. Well, look what I've done. I've got all this money together. Look at you. And then you meet a billionaire. Oh, whoa. Can you understand? If our identity is attached to what we've accomplished, then we're insecure the moment those accomplishments fail or we meet someone else who's accomplished more because our identity is attached to the wrong thing. And so the moment you fail, you've got issues about not the failure, who you are. So, for example, if a woman attaches uh, her identity to her children's performance, that's an issue. Now the kids have got to perform or mum feels bad about herself. And when the kids are failing in front of people, mum is now in a major insecure identity issue. It's not about the kids. It's not about training them. It's not about godliness. It's actually about I'm not looking good. I'm feeling bad. And you kids are causing it. And I've got to really get control over you to stop this happening. And so you, you cannot have your identity within your children. Children leave home, now you're rejected because no kids are around. Your identity's been in the wrong place. Our identity's not in our children. If your identity's in your children, you can hardly say no to them and you will try to control them. Our identity must be in Christ. We're secure in our Christ and we steward our children for God. 
And that means training them, saying no to them, shaping them, and then eventually releasing them. But if your identity's in them, you can't release them. Because it's, it's part of who you are. You're letting go. You can't die. Because you, your identity's tied. Are you getting the idea? So, so people live with a thing like, I'm inferior. Well, where do you get this thing, I am inferior? Inferior means you're comparing with something. Well, I'm comparing with you. And I compare what's best in you with what's worse to me, and I am inferior. So my mindset is, I'm inferior. But I'm not inferior, I am me. And you are not the basis for how I evaluate, how I evaluate my life. The last is 2 Corinthians uh, 12.10, it says, if you compare yourselves one with another, you're stupid and foolish, and you've got no sense in the conclusions you come to. You can't use someone else as the basis for who you are. There's only one person we can use, and that's Jesus Christ. And you'll get to a minute about what it means to be, be born again, you see. So, so if, if a person has got this whole performance base inside, they're, they're essentially in their heart they believe, if I do well, I'm lovable and acceptable. If I don't do well, I'm not acceptable. I'll be rejected. That's the core belief system inside. And that has to shift. See? Now, if a person believes that, if you believe that in your heart, see, I believed it for a long time. I believed it for years. And you know what, it, and you know what the fruit of it was? Fruit of it was, every school I went to, every place I ever went, I had the diligence prize. But do you know what drove it? A funny belief system inside. And a, and a drivenness and a fear and a struggling and a striving that produced this thing which was not the fruit of the Spirit. It was the fruit of fear and, and, and inferiority in the life. See, so, I, so you can't use that. See, I, I, I put approval, which I was seeking, on performance. So therefore, performance was always the evaluation mark of who I was and how I was doing. All right? Now, when you think like that, you have a whole heap of stuff goes on in your life. And you might know someone like this. So I want you to listen to this list of fruit, because I think you'll know someone just like that. You might even like to point it out to them. <laughs> but don't expect them to receive it. You could expect a, an angry response. So the first thing is, a person who's got their identity and their performance always need, needs affirmation about their performance. They constantly need to be affirmed. Why? If they're not affirmed, then they don't feel they, they are okay. Okay, second thing is, they can't handle feedback because they feel rejected. Give them feedback. Well, you know, this was good because of this, this, and this. That was bad. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> now, you see, because in their, in their world, when you say something about the behavior, you're attacking them because their identity is attached to the performance speak about the performance, now you're attacking them personally, and they're going to get angry, resentful, and react. Many Christians are like that. When you try to disciple them and talk about their behaviors and their attitudes, they react and get offended and withdraw. This is the reason why, because their identity is not established in Christ. It's around their performance. And when you, when you say something about the performance, you say something about them. So you try to point out to a mother something about her child, you know, five, four times out of five, she'll react angrily. Talk to the dad, he'll probably say, yeah, they've been doing that at home too. But the mum's identity, because of the nurture, is often, not always, but often, more deeply attached to the child and their behavior. And a, a, a criticism of the child is perceived through this filter in the mind as an attack on me. <laughs> we had a standard policy, never talk to the mum, always talk to the dad first of all. You come up more honest and up front. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to know how it really is, ask the mum. Okay, a person who's got performance orientation is afraid to try new things because they might fail. So you can understand if your identity is tied to your performance, what's going to happen if you try something new? 
dear God, what if I fail? This is too much to think of. I can't possibly stand that. So, they can't, so there's a fear of failure. Another thing is the uh, constant fear of failure and what people think. So a person who's got performance orientation always worried about what someone else is thinking. Well, you know what? <clears throat> Let me just tell you a little truth. People are going to think what they think no matter what happens. Who cares what they think? Just, you see, it's, it's the, only, the, the reason you're afraid of what people think is because you really want their approval because your identity is not secure in what God says about you. His thoughts about you. Get the idea? Okay, then. So we, here's another thing about people who can performance-oriented like this. They need to know the rules beforehand because they have to be in control. So whenever they come into something, they've got to know exactly what's expected. Exactly what's expected. But actually, the real thing underneath is I'm terrified I'll make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. I can't make a mistake. Tell me what the rules are. So they live their life by rules instead of spontaneous flow. Horrible way to live your life by rules. Oh, you live in fear all the time. You're going to break the rules. And uh, of course, okay, so, and so these are the rules. Can't be spontaneous because they have to be correct. If, you, if you're living all your life and you have to be correct, you can't be spontaneous because you're always trying to do the right thing. What's the right thing? I don't know. I'll look around, find out what's, what's the right thing around here. Huh? <laughs> Can you understand? And you get everyone doing that. You have a whole church culture where everyone's looking to do the right thing, whatever the right thing is. God doesn't call us that way. He calls us to do things that bring life. And it doesn't matter what you think, it's right or not, it's, not a, it's irrelevant. See? So you can't be spontaneously controlled and correct. And of course, you know, a person who's like that, they'll give out their affection and praise in a very measured amount. I'll give it if you deserve it. If you, don't, you don't deserve it. So I'll withhold it. You understand that? Because that's been their experience. I'm loved if I perform. If I don't perform, I'm not loved. So that's how I dish things out to the world. But you know, that's not the biblical perspective. God is a God of love. I'm made in His image. I'm a loving person. I love because I love. Not because you deserve it. You get this in the church. You see it these huge issues. A lot of people have this kind of thing going on in their life. Uh, and, so, and of course, uh, of course, if you don't perform right, they give you the, sh the cold shoulder. You don't meet what I want. So you get the silent treatment, the cold shoulder. In a marriage, they withhold sex and, uh, until you do what I want you to do. That makes a person a prostitute because if I'll give you sex if you do what I want you to do. That's humiliating and demeaning to the person who operates that way and they feel defiled by it. This is a strong culture. It's a strong thing in the culture. And of course, when it gets into church, you have a huge issue when it gets into church. So, and, and of course, you've got to understand this when you're working with children. You know, when you work with children... I've been into schools, and it was so tight, religious schools, so tight, I thought I could never send my kids there. I'd rather they went to a secular school than be exposed to this thing, because it'll destroy them. It'll destroy their soul. But you see, because the religious spirit is the worst kind. So a religious spirit is, is, is something which is trying to please God. But see, true Christianity, God has already done the thing that pleased Him, and we just got to trust it. So now we're free to be ourselves. So we're free. <laughs> oh, holy was a wow. Thank God. I have to perform, you know. I, I'm a living out of something someone else did for me, not my own performance. And so, so when you've got that kind of environment, of course, you've got to understand in a home, in a home, one of the things that builds a great home is when you have a lot of laughter together. Because it's hard to be controlled and laugh at the same time. <laughs> Let it have a great hearty laugh. <laughs> and, you know, there's something free about that that people like. See, not much laughter around the home, boy, she's tight. And then if it's, it's not much laughter and it's all controlled, you know what happens? A kid's spirit gets shut down inside and they get, you know what? 
they don't believe, this is what they believe in the heart, I can't be myself in this environment. I can't share my feelings and my feelings are part of me. I can't share my thoughts, my thoughts are part of me. Because the moment I do this, I say, you're not to think like that. You don't, shouldn't feel that way. In our family, we don't do those kind of things. Now, you understand that kind of environment crushes kids and raises them to be performers, and they're really insecure. But when there's laughter and affection and people are accepted and mistakes are not, you know, dwelt on, listen, get over it. Come on, it's a light thing. Little kids make mistakes, you know. And, but you see, if your identity's tied up in the kid performing perfectly, you're going to require something of them that crushes their spirit. And love and laughter and affirmation, and that creates a healthy environment for everyone, including me. <laughs> I love it. So now, of course, when people get into church, of course, now, oh, no, I've got all these new things I've got to do. It was hard before, and it's terrible now. Now, God, he, I must do this, and I mustn't do that, and I have to do this, and I can't do that. Oh, and that's people's concept of, of Christianity. And you talk to unsafe people, their concept is you can't do this, you can't do that, you have to do this, you have to do that. Listen, I don't have to do anything. I, because I love the Lord, I do the things that please them. They're part of who I am. Are you get the idea? So the Pharisees were like that. Of course, what it was people like that, they're striving to be perfect, perfect all the time. They're full of guilt and full of striving. And they're full of envy. They look around. You know, they're watching what everyone else is doing. Who did the pastor talk to? He didn't talk to me. What does that mean? It means, it means, it favors this one. It doesn't favor me. They get all screwed up on side on it. He looked at me. He didn't say anything. What does that mean? It didn't mean anything. He was thinking about something else. That's all it means. Came in and I, I said hello and he didn't say hello. He just walked straight past me. What does that mean? He hates me. I know it. I knew it. I've always known he hates me. No, no. He was thinking about something else. He just walked on like they never heard a word. You've got to understand why this is stuff that goes on with people when they're insecure inside. And it's because they're watching everyone, they're comparing, envy, someone gets something, I didn't get that, come I didn't get that. Why did, he, why did they get it? They don't deserve it. Well, maybe they just got it, not because they deserved it, because someone was generous. God's generous, he doesn't give things because you deserve it, he gives it because he's generous. <laughs> ah, well, I paid my tithe, God's got to give me, God doesn't operate like that. I'm glad God saved me, my finances are in his hands, so I'm glad to give. Huh? And God is glad to bless me. But the moment you get into this performance thing, you come under the law, and it becomes miserable and legalistic, and, and people can't trust God. They can't be spontaneous. And they're shut down. I've been into some churches, and I look, and I thought, oh, my God, this is disastrous. There's one place I would never be if I was in this city was that church there. I would die. The first thing I want to do is get them to laugh. We came here in the beginning. 40, when, I was, when I turned 40, we started this church here, and the first thing we had to do was start to have a party because everyone was serious and miserable. They had to learn how to laugh and have fun. Your laughter and fun are part of the kingdom of God. And we're called to have joy and Holy Ghost. It's not helpful for us. So the Pharisees were like that. The Pharisees lived that way. And Jesus said, here's your problem. You're concerned about every little performance of the Lord. This done right, that done right, this done right. But you miss everything that's really important to God, which is on the heart and on the inside. You miss the whole deal. The, the Pharisees were full of performance orientation because their identity, I am a godly man because I do all these good things. Actually, the truth is, I'm a godly man because I've trusted in Jesus Christ. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. So I'm a new creation. Well, I still do some goofy things. 
Well, that doesn't mean I'm a goofy person. It just means I haven't yet grown up into the fullness of the identity I have in Christ. I'm a generous person because God is a generous God. Generosity's in me. I'm a bit mean and miserable sometimes. But that means I just haven't grown up into the fullness of what God has of abundance of generosity because I've got some fears and brokenness and damage I need to sort out. Well, I am holy. You don't look holy to me. I know you're not holy. I saw what you did. That wasn't a holy thing at all. You're right. But I am holy because God is holy. And I'm in his image. I'm just learning to live up to it. Thank you for pointing out. But I'm still holy. Not because of that thing, but because God says it. He says, be holy. doesn't say do holy things. Do lots of holy things, then you'll be a holy person. He says, you are holy. Now live up to it. Spirit of holiness is in your life. Let the Spirit of God begin to identify with the new man you are. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, any man is in Christ. He is a new creation. That's what it means to be born again. You're sinning. You're living a life without God. You're struggling. Victim mentality. Oh, poor me, poor me. Oh, so many bad things, always bad things. And then you get, and then you performance. I've got to do things to be accepted. Then you come to Christ. What have I got to do to be saved? Repent and believe. There must be more to it than that. No religion's more to it than that. This is what Christianity is. Repent and believe. Now be baptized. Why do I need to get baptized? Because you need to acknowledge the realities of what's happened in you. Your old identity, your sinner living without God, finished. Now you rise up and you get immersed in the Holy Ghost. You got a new life you're living. And you know what? We called a new name on you. We called on you the name of Christ. You are a Christian, a Christ follower. Live up to it. Live up to it. So now I have to discover who I am and begin to live that life. So what's happening while I'm discovering? have all kinds of things go wrong on the way, all kinds of immaturity, all kinds of mistakes, all kinds of failures. It doesn't matter. Because God said, it's okay, I made provision for all of those. You're a believer and a Christian, not because of those things happening or not happening. It's because I've already given you gift of love. Now, I want you to discover who you are. Who are you? Who are you now? I don't know who I am. I, I, I think I'm a failure still. Why do you think you're a failure? Well, I look at all this stuff. Listen, learn how to walk with the Spirit, walk in the principles of God, and your life will be surrounded. You already are success. God designed you for success. Start saying, I'm a success in life. I'm the success because of one thing. I've discovered the God who made me, and I'm linked to Him for eternity. I don't think, why? Well, don't worry about what you think about my life. I don't concern about what God is saying about my life, and if you're speaking on His behalf, then I'm really concerned. Get the idea? So what does God say? He says, I'm generous. I'm holy. I'm a, a child of God. What does that mean? I need to understand what that means and live it. Then when you go out, I'm an ambassador. Well, that sounds important. You see, now before I was thinking I'm a victim. Now God says, no, you're an overcomer. But I don't feel like I'm an overcomer. It's not about what you feel. But look, I've got things going wrong. It's not about what's happening around. I have made you that. Believe it. Stand up and learn how to live in it and get rid of the junky thinking inside. And start to live out what I've called you to become. 
And as you walk in the Spirit, and as you begin to express what I'm like, then it, it establishes your identity who you are. Otherwise, you just live out of the old, and you're trying hard to be new. And that's where so many believers live in defeat. They're trying to be a better person. You're trying to do God's work for them. He didn't tell you to be a better person. He said, I made you a better person. Believe it. Live it. I made you generous. Well, I don't... I, 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 that's because you've got some bondages in your life, but that's not who you are. In fact, have you noticed that when you're like that and your money's tight and you can't... And you, you notice how miserable you are and how closed up you are and your life is not so good? You notice because you're not living who you are. Who you are is generous. So I love what Anna said. Oh, I love to give. It's fun to give. See, she's living out of being, being a giver. Oh, well, what did God do for me this week? Maybe I'll give him something. Listen, no, I, I'm a giver. That's who I am. That's why I give, because I am. My identity is that, therefore I do. My identity is this, therefore I do. My identity is I'm a child of God, therefore I talk to him daily. My identity is an ambassador, so therefore I'm concerned about how I represent him. It's because who I am, not because of what you think. Because there'll be times when you represent Christ and everyone hates you and turns on you. But you're still a wonderful person identified with Christ as ambassador. Huh? See, so if you've got an issue with performance orientation, there's a couple of things. Number one, you need to acknowledge it's, it's a disease that infects your whole life and relationships. Because not only do you evaluate your identity on what you do, you evaluate everyone else the same way. And it infects your relationships. You need to recognize it's a cancer of the soul. It is a cancer of the soul that eats out true faith and true identity. First thing, I've got to acknowledge it and start to look how I'm behaving. Second thing I need to do is I need to actually repent of. I need to come to face the unbelief in my heart. I haven't believed I'm accepted. I reckon I've got to do something to get there. See? And so I listen to people's language. How are you getting on? Oh, I'm getting there. I've arrived. I'm just enjoying the journey. <laughs> Where are you getting? Well, implicit in that statement I'm getting there is, I've got all these things I've got to try and get over and overcome and change and shift. Why can't you just enjoy being who you are and enjoy the journey? Huh? So we've got to believe. And so that means I've got to change the beliefs in my heart. I've got to abandon, repent and abandon the belief systems that keep me performing to get approval, performing to get accepted. I've got to abandon that stuff. So it may take a little time to figure out what you believe and, and then you start to repent of it. The third thing is you actually need to acknowledge that because you've lived that way, you are very resentful and angry inside. Oh, no, I'm not. I tell you what will flush it up. Someone else getting really, I mean, really, really blessed. And they don't deserve it. And it'll flush it up in you. That's what happened with the prodigal son. Son came home. He's wasted all his money. Wasted his life. Come, oh, Dad, I'm sorry. And Dad just loves him and blesses him. Give him a party. And the other son... Resentful and angry. And notice when his dad comes out to talk to him what he says. Well, I've served you all this time. I've never gone out and done this wild party living. You've never done this for me. You've never acknowledged me. You've never thanked me and appreciated me. I've been the good son instead of the bad son. And then the, this rotten son of yours, he's nothing to do with me. He's your son. He's coming back and he put a party on. What is up with you? You understand? This man is totally oriented to performance. 
and it always brings resentment and anger and religiosity. He was there, could have had everything. He never had it because of his attitude. He never understood the father's heart. The father said, everything I got you, why didn't you ask for something? Well, I thought I had to work for it. There's your trouble. Father in heaven, we just thank you right now. You're a God who's a gracious God, a loving God. Oh, a God who loves people. Oh, hallelujah. I just thank you love people. Jesus was declared by his enemies to be the friend of sinners. I want to be that kind of person, Lord. I am that kind of person in you. In Christ, I'm a friend of God and I'm a friend of sinners. Father, I just thank you for what you're showing us at this time about becoming really understanding and believing in our heart who we are. Father, I pray for every person here that's struggling with this issue. I wonder if there's anyone here today and you're, you're not yet a Christian, have never given your life to Christ, you're, you're struggling as a broken person in the world without God. No sense of destiny or eternal purposes, no sense of understanding of God's love for you and a relationship you could have with Him. And So you're trying hard to look good. It, it's hard work looking good. It's real hard work having an image. Why don't you just come to the Lord and He'll just receive you. The Bible says everyone who comes to Jesus Christ, who puts their trust in and believes and receives them as their Savior, He welcomes them. He's, the, he's your friend. But you can make Him your friend by acknowledging what He's done and committing your life to Him. Is there any person here today who says, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want to become a Christian? Why don't you raise your hand right now? Just let me know. Man, I, want, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anyone here? Put your hand up. Man, this is my day. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anyone here? Give their life to Jesus. Ready right at that point. I wonder if there's other people here today and, and you're wrestling with this performance orientation. If you were to be honest, you'd say, man, this is me. This is me. It's a, I've got a problem in my life. I wonder if you just acknowledge it before God today. You say, Lord, you're speaking to me. Too much of my identity is attached to what I do. I get insecure when people give me feedback. I get upset when they talk about things I've done. I, I get, I just am watching all the time what others are going through and what's happening to them and comparing myself. I, I got all these things going on inside me, Lord, and I, I need to repent of that whole framework and belief system and begin to renew my mind. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand and say, God's speaking to me today. God bless. Many hands going up. Many hands. Many hands. Many hands. Remember what the keys are. Just, the first step is recognizing it. Second is repenting. Just repenting of the belief system. The third is letting go of the resentment and anger and forgiving people. The final one is that you've got to learn to embrace the Word of God. I'm going to share that in another session. How to get God's Word around your heart and begin to establish your identity soundly, strongly in who I am in Christ. I am a child of God. I am the servant of the Lord. I am an ambassador of Christ. I am a new creation. I am holy. And then you need to learn to live up. Father, I thank you for each one that's responded. Father, let there be right now in Jesus' name. I speak and I break that spirit of fear and control that dominates their life. I break the power of that orientation around their life to, to, to try and reform, to get approval. Father, I ask for the power of your spirit to come around each one and to begin to shift them so they can be free to be who they are, able to be spontaneous, able to love and to receive love, able to give and receive gifts, able to enjoy the journey because they're secure in who they are. 
And Jesus, we give you all the honor and all the glory. We thank you. You welcomed us. We thank you. We don't have to listen to that Pharisee spirit. We don't have to listen to that accusing, blaming, self-righteous spirit. We don't have to tolerate it in any way. We can be ourselves. Oh, 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 oh. thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Can you say amen to that? Now let's give the Lord a great clap. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Come on, come on, let's stand up. Let's celebrate. This God we serve is a great God.